Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. There's a story my dad tells. Uh, he was on the mission field in Africa as a doctor. He was in Nigeria, which is where I was born. So <laughs> as I've teased you before, I am African-American, and I like telling people that. <laughs> He was uh, in the Biafran Wars, and there was horrific tragedy taking place. People were being slaughtered. Uh, it was a horrible, horrible situation. And as a medical doctor, he was helping with the hospital, and, and uh, he was helping treat people. And he told us, uh, my brother and I, this one day, I, I was probably about 10, 11 years old, made a huge impact in my life. But... He told us there was one point where he had worked literally all day and all through the night because there had been a battle and a lot of people had been injured and wounded. A lot of people obviously had been killed and he was attending and helping with the hospital and he was treating people. And finally about morning time, before the sun came up, he was able to get away and get something to eat, get some coffee. He went up onto the top of the, the roof um, and overlooked uh, the area and the sun began to come up. And in the midst of all this tragedy, in the midst of all this evil, he saw God's goodness. But as he was looking at the sun and as it was coming up, and it was a spectacular morning, his eye was taken to a flock of vultures. And he could see these vultures just hovering and circling, and he was disturbed by that. But suddenly it dawned on him what those vultures were there for. And he realized that there was another battle, that more slaughter had taken place, that more people had been killed because of insanity. And he said he was sitting on that roof and he was watching this as a medical doctor, having just worked all day, all night, knowing that he was going to get a whole other group of men to come in that would have to be taken care of, knowing that many had been slaughtered and that the reason those vultures were hovering is because there was a lot of dead. And he said he got angry at God. He got angry. And he began to question God. He said, why are you allowing this? You could stop it. You're sovereign. You're over everything. Why would you allow more suffering, more slaughter. What are you going to do about it? And I could remember sitting there in the intensity. My dad's a pretty calm guy. The intensity of the passion that he was telling my brother and I this made a mark on me. And he said in the midst of him questioning God, he said suddenly, not an audible voice, but a thought came to him that was as clear as day cutting through night. I have done something about this. I sent my son to die to rescue lost humanity. Folks, the issue of evil is a very difficult issue. We do not have all the answers on this. We don't have the sovereign uh, view we don't have this perspective that god has some people like to put it into a tapestry we see one side of it and it looks all messed up 
Lord willing, one day we're going to get to see the other side of it, and it's going to be beautiful. God is clearly at work. God is clearly at good. There is clearly evil in the world. We're going to talk a little bit about that today and just walk through what does that mean? How do, as believers, we deal with this issue? We're kind of in the category, walking through the Bible right now, of beginnings, the beginnings. We started out looking at uh, the Word of God. How do we have the Word of God? If, if we don't trust the Word of God, if we don't look at what the Word of God truly is, the Word of God, the inerrant, infallible Word of God, then the rest of this year is really meaningless. Why do we even carry it around? If we doubt it, we don't believe in it, if we don't trust God with it, what are we here for? And right now we're dealing with beginnings. We've talked about creation, how God created the heavens and the earth. We agree that he spoke it into existence, that he created it. And clearly man has been created in his image, and so we're unique in the midst of creation, special in that sense. Clearly have an opportunity for a relationship with him. Everybody has a relationship. The question is, do we have fellowship? Do we know him? Have we been rescued by him? Are we saved by believing in Jesus Christ? That's really the issue. Today we're going to look at the problem of evil, the beginnings, the beginnings of things. You take the first 11 chapters of Genesis and throw it out, and you can throw the rest of the Bible out. If we're going to poke holes in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, then really the issue of where we came from, why we're here, what our purpose is, where did sin come from, where's evil come from, what, what are all these things, how did Israel begin, faith, all of those things the rest of the Bible speaks to, and it really doesn't even matter. Obviously, a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at the problem of evil. Next week, we're going to look at the fall. Adam sinned. The impact has been devastating. What has God done about that? We're going to look at men and women. What are the roles that the Lord instituted prior to the fall as well as post the family, how important is the family? In Eden, we have the beginnings of not only mankind, we have the beginnings of family. How important is that? We're going to look at Babel, the people groups, every tribe, every nation. Where did they come from? How did this happen? Right? But today, we're going to look at the problem of evil. I remember... Uh, Several years ago, in Israel, going to the Holocaust Museum for the first time. Anybody been there? Yeah. Anybody been to the one in Washington, D.C.? Yeah. Horrific. Horrific. Evil to a level that probably most of us have never experienced. There was one particular picture as I was walking in shock through all this. I had never really put my mind around the, the vastness of it, the whole spectrum of it. There was one particular picture that really encapsulated to me amongst the many of them that were there. There was a soldier, German soldier, pointing his rifle at a mother who had her back turned towards the soldier and she was holding her baby. And you read the caption... And the caption is that this soldier went ahead and shot both of them. And when I saw that, I tell you, 
that disturbs you to the core because you think, how could anybody do something like that? There, there are many examples of this, unfortunately. Evil exists. Evil is real. It's ferocious. There's no mercy in it. It is abhorrent. We wrestle with it on a daily basis, primarily in three different ways. The world system, the world, totally anti-God, totally something that is contrary to who God is, our own nature, sinful, fallen human flesh. We wrestle with this in varying degrees. The demonic forces led by Satan, the devil. So we have the world, the flesh, and the devil. We know these scenarios. We, we've experienced them. We've been impacted by them in some way, shape, or form. We, we've seen evil in ways over this last century and now into this one that is just stark. There feels like there's no hope. It feels like, how could we ever win in the face of this? God has allowed evil. He's defeated evil and its consequence, death, at the cross and given us hope through his grace. Let me say that one more time. God has allowed evil. He's defeated evil and its consequence, which is death, at the cross. And he's given us hope through his grace. Where does evil come from? Did God create evil? Why did God allow evil? Those are very very difficult questions. And we don't have the full perspective of God in this. And we gotta be careful to sit in judgment on God because God is holy and he's pure and he's righteous. In fact, the Bible says, and we're gonna look at this in a, in a moment, God has nothing to do with evil. Norm Geisler puts it this way, and I think this was a, a good thought, good definition God is good, and he created good creatures with a good power called free will. Unfortunately, they use this good power to bring evil into the universe by rebelling against their creator. So evil did arise from good, not directly, but indirectly, by the abuse of a good power called freedom. Freedom in and itself is not evil. It is good to be free, but with freedom comes the possibility of evil. And he concludes with this. So God is responsible for making evil possible. But free creatures are responsible for making it actual. Did you catch that? God is responsible for making evil possible. But free creatures are responsible for making it actual. Why do we know what evil is? 
I would suggest we know what evil is because we know what good is. In fact, I would suggest if we didn't know what good is, we would never know what evil is. And if good doesn't exist, then how can anything be evil? How can we hold anybody accountable for what we would say is sinful, evil actions or activity if we don't understand that there is a standard of goodness, of righteousness, of holiness? If God doesn't exist, then anybody can do whatever they want. And who are we to say to them that they shouldn't act in that way? Moral relativism is upon us, folks. Evolution does not help with this because there's no purpose there's no reason why we're here we just came out of sludge and so whatever we choose to do is completely right in our own eyes and who is anybody else to tell us that we're wrong we can go murder six million jews and it's perfectly culturally acceptable because that's what the culture dictated as being just as right there's no standard to say that's wrong. It's murder. Where, where do we get that from if we don't have God, if we don't have the word of God, if we don't have righteousness revealed to us, if God didn't write it on our hearts in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 36 is true? How's that possible? Evil's not a quantity that was created but rather, evil is the failure to measure up the God's nature and standard, which is good. Evil is the absence of good. And a good analogy in this may be light and darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. Darkness is the absence of light. Evil is the absence of good. So how do we understand the presence of evil? I go right to Satan. Folks, I know you're going to have conversations about this later in the K-groups. I encourage that. There are certain things we know from the Word of God that we can absolutely say this is true or we can say this is not true because this is what the Word of God says. Some of this is philosophical. I understand that. I want to tell you that there are a lot of unbelievers in our world today that are struggling with this issue, and every religion on the face of this earth struggles with this issue. We're the only ones that have hope involved in it because God has given an answer and God has provided a way of salvation and a way to be rescued out. When we begin to sing, worthy of the lamb, folks, let's raise our eyes up and see him seated on his throne, holy before the universe, understanding that God understood these things before the world even existed, that he did not want to create robots. He wanted to create people who made a decision to follow him. And when he did that, he allowed for the possibility that someone would say no to him, and as a result, sin would take place. Evil would be actualized. Satan... Oh, what can we say about Satan? The demonic forces of evil. I would say it this way. Satan is the expression or the embodiment of evil. Just as Jesus Christ is, uh, in effect, the embodiment of grace and truth. We see that in John chapter 1. Grace and truth were realized, came to be, were recognized in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we talk about evil, we go to one being, Satan. 
I believe he's not an allegory. Some people want to talk about Satan as, as some allegory or, or some idea out there that is representative of all evil. No, I think he's an abs- actual being. We'll look at that. He's a moral agent, as was Adam. He had the opportunity to choose. But the difference between Satan and Adam is that Satan had nobody coming to him in order to try to pull him, to draw him. Adam was tempted. There's a big difference in that. As a result of Satan's own decision, unrighteousness was found in him and he was thrown out of heaven. Look at Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. If you've got an iPad or a phone, we'll trust you that you're not texting. It's all good. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14 is an interesting statement, clearly referring to Lucifer, Satan. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my thrones above the stars of God, meaning the angels. And I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. What is that called, folks, in one word? That's called pride. Pride. He chose self, Satan did, Lucifer, the morning star, and pride rather than God. He chose a lie rather than the truth. He chose to try to lift himself up to a position that he could never attain to because he's a created being, rather than recognizing the eternality, the sovereignty, the preeminence of God most high. Look at Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 and following. Ezekiel 28, verses 12 and following. This is about the king of Tyre, but obviously in this context, there's something more than just a human being who happened to be a king here on this earth. This is about the one who is behind the king of Tyre. And it goes right to the issue of Satan, and he gives us a description of him. He says, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onks, and the jasper, the lapis lazula, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways. And from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you, by the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. And I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted, listen to this, you corrupted your wisdom by reason of your 
splendor. What do we learn here? First of all, that he's the most beautiful angel God created, Lucifer. The shining one. He's a cherub. (laughs) Now, how many of you had a fat little angel with wings strumming on a harp, sitting on some cloud, who knows where, come to your mind? Hey, isn't that what we think about cherubs? What a joke. I don't know who depicted those cherubs that way. But that's not what cherubs look like, folks. Cherubs were to protect the holiness of God. They're awesome. Look, if a cherub showed up today and made himself manifest, all of us would be on the ground. We'd faint. We couldn't stand in their path. They're awesome creatures of God. The seraphim, awesome creatures of God. Not fat little halo, harp-strumming, friendly little guys. Ridiculous. We learn that he was allowed into the very presence of God. The holy mountain, the stones of fire. We learn that he was in Eden. He was created good, and he was blameless until he sinned. His beauty and his splendor corrupted his wisdom. He desired to be like or equal to at least God. Wow. He was so filled with himself that he made a decision as he began to rationalize goodness and recognize as very wise being that clearly if there's good in the definition of good, there must be something outside of that. And he chose the absence of good. You know what's interesting is in Job chapter 1, verses 6 and following, we'll look at this quick, and I'm not going to read through all of it, but I just want you to understand something. Satan is a created being, and he is on a leash. Praise God. Right? I've heard people scared of demons, like as if they're behind every bush. Folks, two-thirds of the angels are on our side. We know from Hebrews 1.14 that they've been sent as ministering spirits to us who are going to inherit salvation. Two-thirds. Michael and Gabriel and Hark. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Praise God. We don't know exactly the whole picture. If you read Daniel, in Daniel chapter, I believe it's nine, you look at the spiritual war that's taking place. It's phenomenal. We've got to be careful about speculating beyond what the Word of God says. But there is a spiritual battle going on, and it is a battle of light. It's a battle of truth against darkness. In Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, he says, There was a day when the sons of God, meaning the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Satan came before the Lord. And the Lord begins this dialogue. Let me paraphrase, right? The Lord says to Satan, basically, where have you been? And he says, oh, just roaming around, walking on the earth. Sorry, rat. And he says, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And Satan answers the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? And then he goes on to say, you've given him everything. If you take it away, He's not going to worship you anymore. And the Lord says to him, okay, take it away. Don't touch his life. Don't touch him. And so we know the story. Satan does that. 
causes the wind to come in, has different people that are anti-God come in and steal. Job's sons and daughters are killed, tears his clothes. But what does he do? Does he curse God? No, he worships the Lord. Right? Naked I've come into this earth, naked I'll return, blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. So Satan's not satisfied with that. He comes back. Job chapter 2, verses 1 and following. The Lord says to Satan in verse 2, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth, walking around on it. And the Lord again asked him, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God, turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Satan says, Well, it's, it's because you didn't hit him. Skin for skin. Put your, put your hand forth, touch his bone in his flesh, he'll curse you to your face. So the Lord again says, oh, okay, he's in your power, but you've got to spare his life. Folks, understand a few things here. First of all, Satan entered into the presence of God along with other angels. He's one of the created beings. Satan could only be at one place at a time. He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. Satan doesn't have the power, or he does have the power over nature and sickness in order to inflict harm. You can see that in this story. But Satan cannot do anything unless the Lord allows him. He's on a leash. There's the line, Satan. Don't go past it. You notice Satan didn't argue. <laughs> I think that's pretty funny. Come on, Lord, let me go further. He didn't say a word. He took what he could get. Satan's doom is sure, folks. We know it. We're going to look at it more at the end of the year as we look at the end times. But in a nutshell, he's going to be bound for a thousand years during the millennium. He's going to be released. And finally, he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire forever. Amen. Right? One angel's going to bound him. One. What are the names that are used of Lucifer, this cherub? Well, there's Lucifer, which means shining one or morning star. There's Satan. You know what Satan means? It means adversary. Adversary. The devil means the one who divides. Do you realize in the New Testament that the word devil, the avello, literally means gossip? It's translated in certain contexts as gossip. The person who throws something into the midst of a conversation in order to divide. What do you think Satan does all the time? Where do you think gossip comes from? He's the accuser of the brethren in Revelation 12, 10. He's constantly accusing us. Who's our advocate? Christ. <laughs> Isn't that great? You're being accused, but who is standing up for you? The Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. He's the father of lies in John 8, 44. He's the thief in John 10, 10. He's the serpent or the great dragon in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. John 10, 10 gives us quite a picture. The thief comes only to do what? Steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What a, what a transition. What a difference. 
The Lord comes in order to give. Satan comes in order to steal, to take that which isn't his. What do we know about the Lord? Boy, we know a lot about the Lord, don't we? We know his character. God's allowed evil. He allowed evil. He didn't create it. He doesn't make it happen. He allows it. He puts it on a leash, so to speak. We understand that God's will is twofold. It is both directive and permissive. There are certain things that God says are going to happen, and nobody's going to stand in the way of it because God will cause it to happen. There are certain things that he permits to happen, and then he promises that even in the permission of allowing it to happen, that he's going to bring good out of it. He will have the victory over it. Praise the Lord. We win either way. 2 Peter 3.9 is a beautiful picture of this in terms of salvation. It says, The Lord's not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any, not wishing, not willing, not desiring for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He desires this, but he doesn't necessarily make it happen. He invites He's provided absolutely through his directive will the opportunity for everybody to believe in him so that they may be saved. It is unfortunate. He invites. Come, let us reason together. It's beautiful. Why does God allow pain? That's a big question, isn't it? Why does he allow suffering? C.S. Lewis says this, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God's character is good, it's loving, holy, it's completely separate from evil. James 1.17 makes that clear. He says every good thing Given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. There is nothing in God that is evil at all, and there's not even the shadow of a shadow of evil. That's how pure and holy he is. He's sovereign, he's over all things, he's in power, including those who do evil, Satan and the demonic forces. We learned that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20. Through 21, where he states, he brought about in Christ when he raised him, Christ, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He's above all. Folks, some people want to take Satan and want to take evil and they want to put it right up next to good as if somehow uh, they are in a fight and it's an equal fight and we're not sure who's going to win. That's nonsense. Jesus Christ against Satan is like me against an ant. You want to fight? You want round two? (laughs) Ain't going to happen. I got that from John Sondager. You can tell him that was... (laughs) I got to give him credit. <laughs> He'll probably use it. In, you were going to use it in your class today. I'm sorry, man. That's good. <laughs> Satan's been allowed, but he's on a leash. Evil is real. It's difficult. Suffering is real. It's difficult. But folks, we've been given 
the victory in Christ from God himself who has done something about it. For the believers, what do we do with this? What's the solution to evil? It's God's grace and provision of salvation. God's grace and provision of salvation. God's grace is greater. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, he says, He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How, as believers, are we to walk? We're to walk humbly before the Lord. To have a modest attitude towards him. Recognize that he is great and greatly to be praised. We are to submit to the Lord. We're to place ourselves under his authority. Verse 7, James goes on. He says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he, what, may flee from you? Potentially could flee from you? Wait around and let's see what he does? No, no, no. He will flee from you. Why? Because darkness is always put out by the light. Light always wins. We are to be sober. We're to be ready, to be alert, to be watchful. That's what sober means. 1 Peter 5.8, says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. In Ephesians, Paul says, Be angry. Don't sin. Don't let the, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give Satan a foothold. Literally, the idea is don't give him a place at the table. We know he's our adversary. We know he prowls around. We know that he's constantly accusing us and against us. But we know the one who has the victory. And when we submit to him, when we humble ourselves to him, when we're sober, we're ready, we're vigilant, we're alert, we're watchful, we're walking in the power of the Spirit of God, and we submit to the Lord, what does he say? Satan will flee from you. What a beautiful promise. I love Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress. Let me read the words to you. Listen to this. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, 
God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is, how long? Forever. Satan is a defeated foe. Evil has been defeated by God's grace, by the salvation that he's provided for us. One last quote for you. Chafer says this. It is disclosed that evil must continue along with good until each shall reach its determined end. Listen to this. That the evil will be judged and dismissed forever is the assuring testimony of the scriptures. Anybody got an amen to that one? Wow, is that good or what? Folks, we can walk in victory today. We can walk in humility. We can walk in submission. We can walk in soberness. Yielded and surrendered to God. We may not understand all the reasons why the Lord allowed evil. And certainly as we look at the beginnings and we understand that this world has been thrown into turmoil and next week as we look at the fall and Adam's decision and the sin that entailed and the death through that sin that spread to all men, what a wicked, wicked thing. But praise God for the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. That God is sovereign over it all. And we can know him because he's made himself known. We can experience his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his love because he's done something about it. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.